Hey, Arthur from the future here. Just wanted to let you know that this is an episode from our backlog, actually from back in December. So when we get to the email section of the show, uh, if you've sent us an email, we aren't covering it this week, but with any luck, we'll be covering it before too long. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Welcome to Play to Find Out, a Dungeon World informational podcast that's grown out of the Dungeon World Discord. Uh, I'm Arthur, one of your hosts. I'm Art Projects on the forum. And I'm Eamon, and I'm Voidlight on the forum. Nice to have you all back once again. I'm excited, are you? I cannot wait. So, we're going to start off today, like we start off every week, with a little discussion of some highlights from recent games. Now, this is a weird week for me because my group didn't actually play this past weekend, uh, which is fairly rare for us to miss one. So, Eamon, what's a highlight from one of your recent games? So, I play in several different groups, and the good thing for me is that whether I'm home with family or whether I'm at school, I always usually have people to play with. So, I was able to uh, have one really good um experience in particular, which was almost like a quintessential RPG session for me, where uh, it went pretty smoothly, uh, monsters were killed, loot was garnered, and meta stuff about the world was learned to advance the plot. So uh, in that mm-hmm. in that sense, like it was banging on all cylinders. Was this but a one-shot, using... or was it like part of a larger campaign? How, how does it kind of it... fit into... So there is, I would like to give a shout-out to... Um, uh, his name is Ben Milton from Questing Beast, uh, which is a little RPG indie company and also has a YouTube channel. And he made a game called Maze Rats, uh, and that's probably what he's best known for. Great system, by the way. I'll, I include links to it. Um, but he, I got a little email saying like, oh, yo, by the way, you're getting this email because you once bought one of my products. I've put something else out. And it was a one page dungeon that was like a dollar or something like that. And so I picked it up. Ooh. And I just slotted it in to my campaign. So my, my PCs were like in a jungle. Um, and I, I knew that I wanted there to be some sort of meat in the jungle before they encountered, uh, like the city where they were going. And so I'm just like, I just, uh, narratively led into them like finding this sort of hidden vault. And this one shot dungeon was what was there. And it's a great little piece. It's kind of, um, it builds itself as something that allows it, uh, the PCs to do like more thinking than just attacking everything directly, kind of like some light puzzle elements, um, but not, not very heavy handed. And I gelled with it quite a bit. The basic concept is there's an alchemist and he made this whole workshop and then he accidentally like put himself to sleep and the workshop sort of got overrun by these like infected elves and all of his constructs are kind of going around just fulfilling their automated tasks, like in his like absence to like mm. maintain them. And they work on this, on this, uh, principle where each, each, um, construct has a core directive. Like the destroy ones destroy things, the repair ones repair things, the retrieve ones retrieve things. But then they all have a slot for a punch card. And when you put a specific punch card in, it, it tells the construct what to do its directive to. So for example, the destroy ones typically have intruders slotted into their punch cards. They destroy intruders. But you mm-hmm. could slot something else in if you like take it out and like swap them around. And the repair ones, for example, have like repair walls. But if you put okay. the walls one into the destroy one, you see where this is going. Yeah, absolutely. And so repair intruders, let's go. 
And so there's all these different punch cards there. And I um, took it a step further, and I, um, when I run this for my PCs, I modified it where all of the all of the uh, constructs had two punch cards, one for their directive and one for the object. So if you took a destroy one out of the destroy bot, uh, then you could like make the repair bot try to destroy things, you know, and 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 things like that. And it, it wouldn't be well suited to its form, but it would try anyway. So yeah, and the PCs they figured out um, after a while like what was going on, and then they basically tried were able to manipulate the dungeon to like help serve their purposes. And uh, it was um, an exercise for me. I, I won't like give a play by play, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. It was an exercise for me in seeing how I could take something and slot it into the campaign very neatly. Because um, at one point, they were like, why are we here? Like, in this, like, dungeon all of a sudden. And they had a really good answer, because the guy who made all this stuff was a powerful wizard of the alchemical variety. And one of the things they're trying to do in the campaign is hunt down powerful wizards and sell their brains in the black market. So Sounds about right. At the very end, they found the alchemist sleeping there, and they um, were careful not to wake him up, and they removed from his head this sort of like diamond like double punch card since he had sort of like a mechanical brain and that was it like they're like we we can find the right buyer and and sell this thing so it was it was nice bring a construct with them and put the uh the punch card in and they considered it but then decided against it because they were afraid that if they did so that the alchemist's consciousness would just inhabit that that body and then try to kill them and uh Which I hadn't obviously decided beforehand, since I wanted to kind of like, you know, play, you to know, find, play, out. find yeah. out, obviously. But that that is very reasonable. I thought like it, they were like, we have the thing. Let's not tempt fate. Let's put this in our pocket sure. and leave. Makes and sense. I gave out quite a few. Um, this was a system agnostic. Uh, one page dungeon and there were a couple pages marked on the map that just said treasure rooms and mm-hmm. so i got to dig into some great resources of like the 10 plus treasure vaults and the little annual thing that that uh discern realities put out and and hand out some really awesome treasures that i wouldn't have otherwise had a nice way to put in the pc's hands so nice it was great everyone got three xp at the end aside from their drives and everything's because mm-hmm. you know they, they were banging on all the dungeon world all the dungeon world uh principles so yeah do you consider that like a mark of a really good session when everyone marks xp for everything that you can possibly mark like oh everyone fulfilled their alignment everyone did their you know or you know did their drive whatever system it is that you use everyone um i mean everyone discovers something new about the world all the good stuff not necessarily but it certainly can be i mean it's an indicator and a hallmark that like stuff was going on right but like sometimes for example i mean i'm as the gm I, it's open conversation with like mm-hmm. what's worthy of of XP, you know, and I sometimes give XP for, sure. for other stuff. So like uh, if 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 this was a really intriguing session and they just learned a lot and did a lot of reconnaissance, they might be getting multiple XP just for that, even though nothing was killed, you know. So yeah, I don't know. Sometimes for, for me, if a character for, out yeah. of game like writes a whole like backstory or something, not not backstory something, but there's a place where my characters keep a ship's log. Mm-hmm. And they, they like write in character about like what happened as if they were like writing their character's diary. And if they do that, like in a given week, sometimes I'll give them XP for that, you know, because it's a way that they can like interact with their character that we can all read and we all have fun, you know, and they're mm-hmm. advancing the story. And so I'll, I'll give them XP for, for doing something like that because it's a way that they can play the game on their own as well. So. Yeah. All right. Very cool. I don't know, for me, especially if I'm running a one-shot, but even just in a general session, I think a really good session is one where everyone gets to mark something. Um, oh, yeah, at so, least something. Yeah. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, thinking back though, the, the sessions that I've liked the best are also the ones that award the most XP at the end. It was kind of a, you know something that I've, I've been thinking about recently, but we'll talk about that I think in more detail in a later episode. For now, Certainly. let's jump into the main topic for today's academy. So we talked a little bit about your your existing party and how they're off seeking out famous wizards or powerful wizards stealing their brains, and I think it would be a good thing for us to talk about today. How do we handle a wizard or another spellcaster in our own parties? Um, Dungeon World magic is certainly different from a lot of other you know, magic systems in other games. And I think that there are a lot of different ways that it can be approached, either following the book directly, finding your own path. And I think today I'd like to go over some strategies for that, for us as GMs and us as players. Absolutely. So, Art, I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone, and um, and uh, it, which is, uh, if you've never heard of it, a digital card game by Blizzard. And that has just kind of re-hooked me on the idea of, of fantasy magic mm. um, in, in this sort of, like, intoxicatingly powerful almost cartoonish way where you play a spell and it's big and dramatic um whereas a lot of times in games i've been playing in dungeon world magic has been a more subtle or in- insidious thing but mm-hmm. that's what's got me thinking about this and this is sort of a, a magic themed episode as we led into it with that a uh, wizard wizard story from from the earlier in the alchemist repose but in the um at the table um especially in this segment of gm academy it's something that it can be a point of consternation, I think, uh, for some GMs, because there's this idea of what is game breaking, right? Like if you give the PCs too much power or like a spell that is, you know, worded too vaguely or something, there's this fear that like the plot will, will like sort of crumple before that. Have you encountered this in any way? A little bit. Um, so in one of my ongoing games, one of the players started as a shaman, a third party shaman. Um, which didn't have exactly game-breaking magic, but the way that they approached sort of their magical abilities as a as a playbook um, was really challenging for me as a GM to manage um, versus just what I was trying to focus on in the game. There were moves that specifically said, the GM will tell you when XYZ is true about the space that you're in, which meant that I had to decide every time I created a space, oh, is this true? So not not exactly strictly on the spellcasting, but just in the general power suite that magic users have. Some of the, sometimes it can be a challenge to actually manage that. I think that, um, and we, I don't want to mix too much into our meta talk. We'll talk a little bit mm-hmm. more about the the nitty gritty of like what sort of actual systems you can use. But in sort of like a for the GM Academy part. Magic is an opportunity. I think a massive opportunity to like really tell great stories. And mm-hmm. it starts before any dice are even rolled in like the world building and just deciding when you're making a campaign. I mean, and this can obviously be decided on the fly as well as like the dungeon world is want to do. But like, what is magic like in this world? Like, does it come from the gods? Are there gods? Does it come from like the soul of the user being like channeled? Is it only drawn from other things? And those can really inform what flavor and, and, and what capabilities magic will, will take on. The yeah. default, right, like that, that 5e gives us is that magic is this sort of like weave that's in the world and anyone with the right training can interact with it and those with the right gifts can just interact with it like sort of better or more innately, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, for, for, do you remember when I was talking and uh, listeners, if you listened 
to some of our previous episodes, I mentioned uh, a game called The Nightmare Below that was drawing on the same influences as the Darkest Dungeon video game. And that game, their magic user playbook is called The Occultist, and they can only use magic when they are in the dungeon. Because magic in that game is you are harnessing the evil that is there. So if you are not in an innately evil place, you cannot use the magic. You know, which is very fitting. Like it's that's what that's you know, ties into that setting. It's dark and it's dangerous and it's essentially like tainting you to be using it. So like that that's a, a different kind of magic that, you know, makes so much sense in that world and is almost like self regulating because of it. So I think that what when magic goes wrong it's because there's some kind of incongruity, right? That it like seems like jarring, mm-hmm. that it doesn't fit. Because have you ever played in like a have you ever well, well, let me just pitch you this question. What's the most dramatic spell effect you've ever like seen in a game? Ooh, let me think back. So I, ho- I talked last week about the time that the immolator burned down the, the god tree, the god heart tree, and, and used oh, wow, to, yeah. to el- eradicate an entire elvish army. But that's immolator magic, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Um, I don't know. My experience generally is that my, my players often don't pick traditional magic using characters. Um actually it's only just this current game that i've that i have any proper you know roll the dice to cast a spell uh characters in the in the group at all so thinking back on it i think maybe the most dramatic magic effect i've had was actually in a one shot that i ran a while ago the very the potent magical effect was a a the simultaneous godfather-esque death of the seven lords of the sea um which he wanted to do as a ritual. So the whole the whole one shot was about getting him to a place of power so he could go and and simultaneously end the lives of all the lords of the sea. And we're getting a little bit a field of like just the core cast of spell stuff, but with a ritual you get as a GM you basically create a cost to complete the ritual. It's going to be a time cost or it's going to be an equipment cost or it's going to be yeah. you know some challenging task that you need to complete. Um, awesome move by the way it's really really cool i i'm excited to see it happen again in my current game because we have a wizard um because the the thing that we basically landed on as the cost was oh the place of power that you're in it's going to come down around you so as you as you dismantle the hierarchy that's controlling the world you're also dismantling the place of power around yourself so it ended up being a really like explosive moment of this temple collapsing around the wizard who's wielding this magic while simultaneously the camera's cutting away to, you know, the seven lords of the sea, each dying in dramatic fashion. And the wizard and I kind of talked a little bit about what that looked like, you know, as each, you know, as each one passed on. And the, um, I don't know, the, the, the effect, the storytelling effect you can get with that very loose framework was really, really cool and really big, like a really big dramatic moment. But I've also had the same experience as you, I think with a lot of my dungeon world, um, um, that you've had with what I think you described as your five E experience, which was that wizards don't do big magic. They do little magic a lot of the time, especially early level wizards because, you know, it's very restrictive sometimes. Yeah. yeah, The magic that they do is, is very much like, Oh, I want to do a small spell right now because I think it's the appropriate cantrip to cast or, you know, I'd like to, fire off a magic missile but it's nothing you know early game wizards aren't encouraged i think to do really dramatic magic um so we'll see I'm, i've got a mid-game wizard now we'll see what happens i love the um 
as a player, and I know a lot of players who do, and it's just equally rewarding as a GM, when you give a player an effect that is not on its face, like immediately powerful, obvious for a specific mm-hmm. thing, but it's open-ended enough that it will reward cleverness. And magic is perfect for this. And a lot of th- we're talking about magic a lot here, and I think in most use cases we mean spellcasting mm-hmm. because assured druids use magic and and those things. In many classes, what they could do could be explained by magic. But we're talking about ca- cl- ca- classes that cast mm-hmm. spells. And so I think that um, the when when we get into meta talk here and maybe we're ready to move into meta talk but the um there there's a gradient and a sliding scale between how prescriptive it is of what mm-hmm. the spell does and how these just simply descriptive it is yeah so uh, so let's drill down a little bit on the cast a spell move because i've got a lot of thoughts right. about effective ways to use it um are we are we moving to meta i think talk it's here? time for a little All bit right. of meta talk let's get meta So, cast a spell. It's a move that we see in a couple of different classes, both within the core playbooks and also in some of the third-party playbooks that I've come across in my time. Um, And the basics of the move, 2d6 plus one of the three or so mental stats, uh, usually int or wisdom, but I've also seen charisma. Often for warlocks, yeah. Yeah, um, warlocks, shaman, um, all the the fun other other off, uh, you know, out-of-the-book classes. Which is great, by the way. That's oh, for like, sure. If you're, if you're, if you're casting is a relationship with something, then that makes sense, which mm-hmm. is also taken direct from 5e. Yeah. So. And then uh, 10 plus for most implementations of cast a spell is pretty just, pretty much just the spell goes off as expected. It behaves appropriately. You don't get anything special, but you also don't lose anything. The 7 to 9 consequences I really like on cast a spell. I like the three options that you get, which are usually something to the tune of you put yourself in a spot and the GM effectively gets an opportunity to make a soft move or even a hard move against you. Um, you lose the spell until you can until you do the move that gets the spell back, which is something you can only do during downtime or doing, during a, uh, a break. Um, and then the third, which is minus one ongoing to future cast of spells. I think those are three really cool options because none of them is ruinous, but also each of them gives a... They're meaningful. Yeah, they're felt. A deeply meaningful thing. Um, and I think, why don't we ta- t- take a couple of seconds here to talk about some of the different ways that we have approached putting players in the spot during uh, cast a spell? Because I've got a couple of pretty good ones in my time. Um, sure. So I think uh, it's important to note here also that like this move is... Uh, two moves that it's it is relating to uh the prepare spells move mm, but we'll true. talk about that more in a minute yeah we'll, we'll jump to that yeah. um so i had a, a cast a spell once with a really good consequence a consequence that i was really happy with where it, it was like sort of the setup for the adventure where the 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 big the big bad was about to attack the village where the pcs were um and I wanted them to meet a particular npc who was going to set them up to sort of be the champions of the village um, and when one of my players used cast a spell to to buff one of the to buff the fighter, basically, um, that spell cast the consequ- they they decided on a seven to nine they put themselves in a spot, and that was the moment when I was able to introduce this NPC who whisked them away to the to the armory to get them outfitted in their in their magical armor to face the the monster that was attacking the town, um, and I like that because. You know, seven to nine doesn't have to be a bad thing. It, it's just an opportunity to push the story forward. It's an opportunity to get a little bit of control over where the narrative goes next. Um, 
so the spot that I put the player in was, you've just been selected to be the champion for the town. Uh, also, the rest of the group is included. Um, so that was kind of a fun, like, half-positive, put-someone-in-a-spot consequence on that 7-9. to nine. I don't know, do you have any good 7-9 uh, good to nine consequences for Magic? Uh, the best ones that I've um, seen and participated in have been the ones that relate directly to the act of casting magic or to the specific spell and the the easiest ones that are like you can go to in a pinch are ones where you just either uh massively emphasize the spell's effect or underemphasize it like mm -hmm. they, they affect too much or too little of what they want oh, you know the, the fireball burns like there's some collateral damage you yeah. know or maybe it only burns like a specific part of the mm -hmm. enemy but yeah. ones that are really interesting are ones that are environmental so maybe they're in a poor village you know or in like an area of the world that has not seen magic maybe in a long time and they're active using magic and getting that seven to nine the townspeople are now like entrenched with them because they see mm -hmm. that they're a benevolent you know magic user or or maybe someone who they think they can take advantage of and now everyone's clamoring for you to like cast spells for them and, and sure. bless you know my and you have all this attention then, yeah. yeah or maybe like a passing uh ethereal entity uh, like a demon or something. It's like, oh, here's a magic user. Maybe I can worm my way into the world through their brain. You know, like you, yeah. now you've got this thing following you around. So that, that's one, like the draw attention one is one that, um, it's fun to kind of, uh, turn up or turn down the heat depending on what is going to help the story. Like you don't want to distract sometimes. So you want it mm -hmm. to not be as obvious, but sometimes like if they're being a little too cavalier with the, the magic or if they're, um, yeah. they're trying to take that cause they think it'll be softer it's than forgetting the spell. Back on yeah. It. You can, you can push back, um, which is amazing. I, I just want to compliment, uh, dungeon world as a system because when I first read the rules of dungeon world, specifically reading the prepare a spell and the cast a spell moves, it was like this like revelation that mm -hmm. I was like, my gosh, like magic can be yeah. something that you can use in games it's that so, can be, yeah, it's like so, so powerful, a storytelling tool. Because yeah. in 5e, amazing system, you know, and, and, and similar games, old school games. Um, if you want to be the wizard, that means that you like magic, but you also have to be choosing a whole system of rules to engage with. And if you're not that type of player, it's kind of like, sorry, you know, like, mm -hmm. Not everyone wants to engage with the level of bookkeeping that those sometimes require. Like there are spell slots and they're differentiated and they can be cast and prepared and learned and, and, you know, and there's quite a bit there in the different, in the different games. And Dungeon World and its ilk tend to have very streamlined spell systems and I love it. Like yeah. the, additionally, the spells are just written a bit more vague just to, to make them be those tools for you that they do a thing. And they're good at doing that thing and how and when you apply it, you know, is going to be up to you. So I like the fact that they don't have to have specified ranges or specified mm -hmm. about who exactly can be cast on or how long it'll last. Like those things you just sort of figure out and they yeah. work as they're intended. Cause I've been shut down before in other games on trying to cast a spell because the technical effect was like, not going to work since it didn't mm -hmm. last a, a yeah, minute so longer a than it should. And you, you know? need a sphere. But it, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I want to freeze the water and then, like, teleport the enemy under the water, you know, like, into mm -hmm. that, like, to, to like, yeah. solidify them or something. And they're like, ah, you know, like, see these, you can, uh, in the time it would take you to cast the second spell, or, you know, and I'm yeah. like, so, so yeah, no, the dungeon those world, sorts of moments, yeah. Yeah, Dungeon World, you just say, well, I would like to cast the spell, and maybe the GM pushes back on that. Well, you're going to have to defy danger intellect in order to, it sounds like that triggers defy danger intellect because you're taking you have to really like come up with the perfect spell to do both of these effects simultaneously so you'll have to defy danger before you can even roll the first cast a spell 
Yeah, um, and that's what you would imagine a wizard to do. And exactly. a lot of like, in a lot of the shared headcanon that we all have for the generic fantasy wizard, it's they're taught to do things a certain way, and if they want to go off the beaten track and improvise on the fly, they're going to do so at their own peril right. and that of all hey, around them. And speaking, it's fun. speaking of improvising yeah. magic at your own peril, can we just talk a little bit about one of at least my touchstones for magic? Um, Police. The Aragon series of books, which. Eamon, I, I have you. Have you checked those out ever? Did you read those in your in your youth? By Aragon, do you mean the Inheritance Cycle? I do mean the Inheritance Cycle. Yes. Every word. Yep, okay. I read it. Yep. Yep. Same here. That those stories have a lot of great things going on and some middling things. I don't want to go too negative on this one, but one of the things that I think a lot really appealed to me as a young nerd, and I think probably appealed to you as a fellow Dungeon World player is that the magic system is very clearly defined and has very specific rules, and the way that those rules are leveraged is pretty consistent throughout. And one of the things that I like that I keep jumping back to when I'm playing these games and thinking about what sorts of magic uses are out there is, you know, what are the weird ways that magic gets used in this world where it's either commonplace or, like, slightly atypical? Um, and I keep coming back to the revolution was funded with lace, that magic users were using their magic to take the time out of something complicated um, so that they could accomplish something relatively artisanal in a in a straightforward way. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen magic? A- if magic is uh, only used for war in your world, then I would ask why. You know, like that that's interesting mm-hmm. in and of itself, but it shouldn't be the default, perhaps. Yeah. And we saw know? that we saw that with your alchemist's repose. Here's someone who's used magic and magical thinking to create a bunch of automated servants. And the things that they do make total sense within the context of the world. And it's not just destructive. It's not just Yeah. You know, it's not just about war. Um, yeah, he had a whole self-sustaining factory yeah. going on, so that was yeah. all magical and, power. And I think that's something that Dungeon World really encourages, is I would like to use the spell in this kind of weird way, and here's how I want to, here's how I think it should end up coming together. Um, all right. So, so let's let's keep talking a little bit. Of, uh, one more thing about spellcasting I want to drill down on is the six minus. I would also, after we talk about that, like to uh, talk about alternative magic systems that dungeon world can easily support oh yeah so, so. on a six minus i i actually i have a way of that i like to handle six minuses on cast a spell which is that i like for the magic to happen um and i'm curious do you do you typically have the magic happen or does a six minus mean that the spell fizzles out or doesn't have the impact that you want it to i certainly especially on cast a spell i don't want it to be um just a simple nothing happens, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, I tend to not want that ever in Dungeon World. Oh, yeah. Even on I mean, hack and slash, you, there is no just, move that is nothing happens. Yeah, there's no miss that you miss moving on. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like that. But um, what is interesting to me is um, perhaps if the spell doesn't happen, it's be- for a reason. Like mm-hmm. maybe as you are casting it, the enemy like stole or somehow ate the spell and became more powerful you know or maybe mm-hmm. they have it now you know oh, like that that type of thing is interesting but um but yeah like um you can really go extreme with these effects go ahead and hit, hit yeah. us with some so, uh, six so there's, minuses. The, there's the classic misfire you cast your fireball and you launched at the goblin whoops you missed and it hit the tree behind him now the fire the forest is on fire um, or you hit your friend or, or you hit, yeah. I, so hitting other pcs i haven't really done yet but it's totally an option um, I, I would probably actually I would use that as a consequence on an aid or interfere if the PC attempted to aid roll to seven to nine thus eliciting a consequence and then a good one as well. and then the plus one wasn't enough to pull you over the edge on a six minus yeah you you help 
um, by jumping into the by keeping the goblin off of your wizard, but then the wizard's magic missile blasts through you, hit, hit glances off your shoulder and into the trees, you know, lighting the fire, and also you take two d four damage or whatever the the number is. Um, so there's that. There's the so with the shaman and with other spell casting classes where the whole thing is about like reaching out to the otherworldly, uh, whether it's reaching out to a god or reaching out to the spirits, whatever it happens to be. Um, I like taking them out of the action while they cast the spell, having it fail, and then when they re-enter the action, it's totally different. Making a move against the entire party that actually happens off screen, and then describing the after effects as they perceive it when they come back to reality. Um, oh wow! So, for instance, yeah. you know, you you reach out into the void and you tr- and you go into a trance, and as your consciousness slips away, you feel the the spirits fleeting from your fingers. And as you come back to reality, um, well, the person you were trying to intimidate with your otherworldly power uh, has the fighter on the floor and is and is kind of thrusting a dagger directly into their into the cracks in their armor. What do you do? Um, so, you know, taking taking them out of it and then you know sudden and making a move off screen it can be really effective if used right. Um, even if it's just escalating the conflict in the, that's happening without necessarily making a hard move against somebody. Let me bridge this with what I'd um, like to talk about next, which is magic working in different ways mm-hmm. than the simple, like, cast a spell move. Something that you could do on a 6- minus is maybe until you next prepare spells or until you next have a time to sort of realign yourself or whatever the equivalent is, the way that you interface with magic is changed somehow. Mm. So perhaps, like, because of your 6- minus... Now, every time you cast a spell, it will consume health, you know, so like, like you're gonna be, you're gonna be, uh, spending your, your, your hit points in order to, like, make your spells work, mm-hmm. like, um, since you have, like, altered your connection with magic or something like that. Or perhaps, you know, and on and on, uh, about different things you could do there. But, um, mechanically, like, different ways it could work, uh, it has been a sort of, um, a meta interest of mine, to comb through different mage playbooks, um, and there all uh, there has been uh, we could maybe have uh, an episode about this in in the future, maybe going more into it. But there has been many attempts to rewrite the um, the wizard playbook, sometimes called the mage playbook, uh, to remove the spell list altogether or to change mm. it, because some people feel that even having a list of prescribed spells at all is too restrictive. Um, and there is a whole spectrum of how this might go. Uh, I'll quickly touch on the extreme end of the spectrum, uh, which I've seen in games, um, in games like Maze Rats, and I've seen approaches to this in Dungeon World, where the spells, um, simply have names and that's it. Like in Maze Rats, Ooh. when, if you're a wizard, every day you get a certain amount of just random spells and you roll on the table and you just get like a randomly generated spell name. So it might be like the boiling bubble. And when you cast it, you describe what you think it does, and based on your role, the GM will tell you if it does that or something else. You know, like the boiling bubble, maybe that's like an AoE attack. You know, maybe it's like a, a bubble that uh, transports you somewhere, you know, and shields you from ice because it's hot. You know, like all sorts of things could happen just based on that. So it's a very freeform spellcasting system um, versus I've seen uh, Wizards Sand spell lists where you make your role. Um, to cast a spell similar to a vanilla dungeon world. And based on the role, you get to pick from a table a certain amount of effects. Mm. And they're all mechanical. So it might be like, you know, give a party member plus one forward, deal d6 damage to an enemy, 
um, like swap places with somebody, like change someone's mood, and basically just mixing those, you're creating your own custom spell every time, cool. and you are providing the flavor. So that, like, mm -hmm. a couple of bullet points can suffice for a whole spell list. Sure. And those are when you just want the spells to, like, be tools that work a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I tend to like a mix. One of my favorite ones that I've ever seen is one that instead of having a spell list, um, it had the cast a spell move, and it had a list of domains. And the domains were the eight schools of magic. Mm -hmm. So the transmutation domain, necromancy domain, divination, and on and on. And starting at the beginning of the game, your wizard knew two of them. And as they, you know, either in narrative or as a result of their leveling up moves, they could eventually learn more. And when they cast a spell, based on the roll, they got a certain amount of power to spend from like one to three, depending on the, you know, the six minus or ten plus. Sure. And each domain had a list of possible effects in a bullet point under it. And for every power, you could activate one. So, for example, transmutation, one of them was, like, add an anatomical feature to yourself or a companion. And then another one was, like, super heat or super cool something. Mm -hmm. You know, and another one was mold the shape of something about your size or smaller. You know, and so mixing those, you could, like, create all sorts of things. And then for all the other domains, they'd be similar. Like, for uh, necromancy, one of them was, like, raise you know, D4 undead to aid you. Mm. One of them was ask, ask an undead three questions, you know? And so doing these, like it kept the spells like thematic and in these schools. And it was like, you know, your wizard, maybe in wizard school, he majored in this and minored in this. And that's why he can cast these and those <laughs> sorts of things. But it still kept it open enough that they just do all the things you would expect a transmuter to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas one time when I was trying to play 5e, I was trying to make a transmuter and I was limited by just how many transmutation spells did the people who made this game decide to write, you know? And so, like, my idea of what could a transmuter do was limited by just what was well, there. Well, Whereas I mean, this you have time, to go like, buy the yeah. big book of transmutation spells for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah, edition. see. And that's another thing that in, in if you want to, even if you're using vanilla uh, Dungeon Worlds and you want to write your own spells, it's really easy mm -hmm. because they just have to be a description of what it does. That's it. And you yeah. just give it, like a like, a one... I think it's one, three, five, seven, or nine. I, yeah, I forget exactly levels, how it's uh, every odd yeah, numbered and, level. Um, yeah, you simply do that yeah, for the you, power. You don't have to decide what will save you need in order to in order to beat it. You don't need to. Yeah, it, Dungeon World has my favorite magic system just because I don't have to deal with all of that. Yeah. And this um, other system with the domains, like if you wanted something else, just pick the relevant domain and just put another bullet point under there. Yeah, you know. Well, I, I just it's wanna, super cool. I just want to spitball a little bit because talking about some of these different magic systems has given me kind of an idea that I'd love to unpack a little bit with you. Um, Certainly. So I love the idea of the effect table. You know, you get a certain number of effects based on how well you roll, and I want to combine that with one of my favorite things about Dungeon World moves it, with the inverse consequence. Um, something like the Ben Bars lift gates. It does not take very long. It does not make a lot of noise. I'd love to see a playbook where the magic casting is built around like you get X hold and then you spend X hold on magical effects and then also not having these consequences, which um, I think would be very cool. Like, oh, do I want to cast the spell that teleports the goblin and then also freezes the river above them so that they're so that they drown under the ice? Well, that's good, but I only have two holds, so I would have to then forego the, uh, for forego the I don't put myself on a spot, or I I don't lose I take minus one on going to cast a spell. Um, 
So I have seen uh, similar to what you're talking about in the in the system I was talking about with the domains mm-hmm. where um, you're you're picking from like targeted lists basically. There's also something that you have to pick at character gen called your bane, mm. which is like the, your restriction to casting magic. And one of them is like when you cast magic, you must have the ability to speak in both hands free and not be wearing <laughs> heavy armor. You know, so it's like. Yeah. And then one of them was one of them was. Like magic uses your health when you do it. I think one of them was um, like you have to be like looking at and concentrating on the person for the duration of the spell, you know. And like mm-hmm. whereas the other ones implicitly did not have those restrictions. And I think that one you had the option to spend power when casting the spell to like ignore your bane, mm-hmm. but that would be leeching away from like doing less effects. So yeah. is that kind of what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, the bane's wasn't really fun, on my yeah. radar, but that's very cool. Yeah. Well, anyway, if you're out there in the Dungeon World uh, Discord community and you're listening to this, uh, hit me up at Art Project on the Discord with your spins on this idea, and I will uh, I will steal them from you and use them in my game. Um, so, with that in mind, I think that's all of the spellcasting that I've got, uh, all, all the ideas that I have around spellcasting. So, Eamon, unless you have something, I think it's time for us to spin a little bit of a yarn and picture this. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. We're uh, we're not moving quite as far away from spellcasting as you might think, because I had um, in my mind for picture this uh, to talk about the concept of living spells, mm. and this this comes from something that has been slowly crescendoing in my mind ever since I first saw the Kickstarter, which is um, a wonderful game. Uh, that it will eventually come out, I think, um, early next year, uh, called Invisible Sun. Mm. And this is a massive undertaking from the wonderful folks at Monty Cook Games. Uh, you may know them from the Numenera or the Cypher system, and among others. And they have put together this monumental game, which I won't go very much into, but it is basically based on this idea that uh, the PCs live... Um, in this alternate reality, which is in fact the true reality. And everything we experience in the mundane world is but a shadow of that. Mm. Think sort of like the Matrix. And once you wake up from the shadow, as it's called, you enter the actuality, and you get to play the game as what is known as a Vislay. And all Vislay are magic users. So this game is predicated on the idea that everyone at the table is going to be a magic user. And everyone is, in, and, and they take spellcasting to the extremes. And something I think can be taken from this game and used in Dungeon World is the idea that magic is way more, like, beautiful, intricate, wild, and complex than you may have thought. And there can be living spells, which is something that is, um, referenced in, uh, in Invisible Sun in different ways. That once you weave a spell of sufficient complexity, it can, it can have sufficient magic to almost gain sentience and create such things like, Maybe a rain cloud that follows people around when they're sad Hmm. and rains on them because that was a spell that sort of gained sentience. Or maybe, you know, you have a tower and this tower itself is a spell and walking through the rooms in a certain order causes an effect to happen. I've seen entire dungeons built around that concept, notably the uh, Skyblind Spire Hmm. uh, is the name of a dungeon that sort of uses that concept. Um, But yeah, living spells, you can really go go ham with that. Think think about a, uh, a scroll that uh that uh, has a spell inscribed on it and after you cast it the spell now follows you around you know and becomes your sort of like companion and allows you to cast it again you know if you're on good terms with it mm-hmm. stuff like that so uh the the fact that uh that that raises ontological questions in your world if you bring that to like 
if if magic is the source of sentience, are all the PCs in your world basically forms that have been inhabited by magic? You know, like it's it's just such a rich idea that I think it just fits so well for yeah. for picture this. And the idea of living spells also reminds me of another one of my favorite childhood series, uh, the Bartimaeus trilogy, um, which mm. is about um, magicians in sort of timing irrelevant London um, who do their magic by summoning demons and spirits and genies and all the other sort of uh, the uh, the other cre- creatures of myth and lore that we think of as you know spirit spirits and um, and it's very much you know living spells you have to you build a friendship or a relationship with the magic that you do because all of the all of the spells that you cast are because they are living things sort of inherently um so the thing that you can learn from this or that you can take away from this for your own games is if you have a a spell that is kind of angry at the person who's trying to cast it and is trying to break free for its own sinister ends well that's a really good thing to have in your back pocket for a consequence on a six minus or even a seven to nine um, and it's so flavorful at the same absolutely. time. Like, yeah. that's just what Dungeon World's all about. Yeah, if every fireball you cast, you know, if you try to cast a fireball on a six minus, well, oops, you cast a fire spirit instead, and it's out. Well, you've really, uh, you've really painted me quite a picture there, Amen. I'm glad. Yeah. Picture this. Yeah. Well, what's the email that they can reach us at, Amen? So please hit us up at play to find out at protonmail.com that is p-l-a-y-t-o-f-i-n-d-o-u-t at proton p-r-o-t-o-n mail.com we'll be looking that uh, i checked it today mm-hmm. it's uh, it's sad the inbox is empty that makes sense um but we'll be looking out for emails from all of you out there and if you're on the dungeon world discord you can reach me at art projects and you can reach me at void lights Uh, And once again, I have been Arthur, one of your hosts. And I have been Eamon. We love you all. Please uh, cast all the spells in your games. Until next time. On Play to Find Out.